We are in week five of our series that we're calling Real Happiness. We're talking about the Beatitudes. We're looking at the beginning section or the first section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I'll warn you, maybe you already got the word. Maybe uh, somebody already told you. I'll warn you, this is one of those messages Nancy said to me this week. Are you, you know, how's the message? And I'm like, eh. She's like, oh, is it, it's no good. I said, no, it's really good. I just don't want to do it. You know, it's one of those ones where I look at this. We're going to talk about being more merciful. And I look at this as I started studying this week, and I realized, you know, man, I suck at a lot of these. And, uh, and I'm sure you might too. So um, I'm like going, I'm like looking at, I mean, I knew, I told you a few weeks ago, I know I'm not gentle. I thought I was merciful. Um, but as I look at it this week, I'm like tracking two out of seven. And um, so I'm going to warn you up front that today's message is going to be one of those ones where you're going to be tempted to say, oh, really good message. But, yeah, not really for us because we've got to go apply this. And I'm going to encourage you to evaluate yourself on all seven at the end. I'm going to say, I'm not going to have you say a pass, fail, or A, B, C, D. But I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you to put down a letter, not a letter grade, but a letter of somebody that God brings to mind in each one of these seven areas. So God's going to, you can wrestle with God. I'm warning you in advance, you can wrestle through the whole message. And you can go, God, no, not that person. No, not that person. Because God's going to bring some people to your mind that you can be merciful to this week. And I want you to write down their the first letter, their first name at the end, real small, so your wife can't, so your spouse can't see it, um, and give you some warning. Now, this is a great time if you're like, oh, my stomach's a little queasy. It's a great time to bail. If you just want to go home right now, uh, you know, say, Pastor Jerry said this was going to be a hard one, um, and it is. It's a challenging message. Look, we all want to be happy. We've been talking about this in this series. We all want real happiness. People spend millions of dollars to try thousands of things to make them feel happy. Your Savior steps up, Jesus, and says, you want to be happy? You want to be blessed because they're the same word. The Greek word for happy, the Greek word for blessed are the same words. We've been talking about that. Jesus, you want real happiness in your life? Then learn to be merciful. And we're like, yeah, learn to be merciful. Well, I'm merciful. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty of what it means to be ner- merciful, you start to realize, I'm not so good at this either, Pastor. I need, I'm going to need some help focusing on this, not just this week, but probably for the rest of the year. So I want to talk about, as Jesus says, eight ways to be happy. The fifth one that he brings up is in Matthew 5, 7. And he says, God blesses or happy are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In other words, it's a what we give out is what we're going to get back. What we give is what we're going to get. Uh, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Fifth key to real happiness. We've got to learn to be more merciful. And I think that this is going to challenge all of us in lots of areas. But don't worry. I'm going to cover seven of them. So I'm, if you start feeling like, oh, man, I hate this one. This is, uh, I'm, gonna go, I'm, I'm only going to be on it like five minutes and we're going to move. Okay? So grab your pen. Click it all away because you're going to need these for the, you need the blanks filled in so that you can write down the, the letter when we get to the end and evaluate ourselves. Because as, as we learn to be more merciful, it affects all of our relationships. Listen, this will improve your marriage. This will improve your, parent, your parenting. This will improve your relationship with your parents and with your kids. It will improve your relationship with, with your coworkers, with your siblings. All relationships are impacted when we learn to be more merciful. So let's fill these out together. The first one 
will start out easy, believe it or not. The first one is I've got to be, I can be patient with people's quirks. I can be patient with the quirky people in my life. Now, don't point at them, okay? If you brought your quirky person with you, um, it's their idiosyncrasies. It's their weirdnesses. It's their mannerisms. It's their odd behavior. Anytime we don't get angry at that, anytime we don't, um, their irritating habits, we show mercy when we don't get all uptight about people's personal quirks. Now, we all have them. I'll say that again. We all have them. You've got them. I've got them. We've got these little habits, these little quirks, these little mannerisms that have a, have a tendency to drive people a little crazy sometimes. Ways of speaking, ways of thinking, ways of, of talking, ways of acting. We did a series years ago called You Drive Me Crazy. These are the things that drive you crazy about the people in your life. Or you drive them crazy with your quirks. Whenever we control our anger and we refuse to get upset about people's quirks, then we're being, we're showing mercy in a practical way. Now, let me tell you something. Nancy and I have been married 33 and a half years, almost as long as the Spaldings, Van, our drummer, and Joanne, 34 years today. Make sure you wish them a happy anniversary. They're a lot older than us. Um, just kidding. Just a couple, a couple months older. Um, when Nancy and I have been married 33 and a half years, so I got a little experience in this, right? I want to give you, especially those of you just starting out, I want to give you the most practical advice, the most important, maybe the most important marriage advice you'll, you'll ever get. It's this next verse. If we can apply this next verse to our marriages, oh my goodness, it would transform everything. Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. Circle the phrase making allowance. Making allowance for each other's fault. Listen, men, men, all men, listen up. Listen, guys. You married a sinner, guys. All the guys were smart enough not to say amen. I'm so proud. We've had some dumb guys through this church a lot over the years. And like, amen, that is not the time to say amen, okay? Um, now, I'm not saying that we don't have any dumb guys here now, but at least they were quiet at that moment. So thank you so much. So, yes, men, guys, you, you married a sinner when you got married. And let me just let you, let you know, she married a bigger one, okay? Ladies, you can say amen if you want. You won't get in trouble. We know it's true. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Have you figured this out? Your parents' marriage was not perfect. You should have learned this by the time you are four, probably. Your parents don't have a perfect marriage. Nobody has a perfect marriage. Your mentor's marriage isn't perfect. Your pastor's marriage isn't perfect. There's no pastor who has a perfect marriage. Have you met any pastor kids? They'll tell you. Yeah, my parents' marriage wasn't, wasn't perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because you have two imperfect people coming together can't make a perfect marriage. Now, you can have a good marriage. You can even have a great marriage. A great marriage is just the joining of two very good forgivers. Great forgivers make great marriages, though they're not perfect. That's what it takes to make a great marriage. It's the union of two great forgivers. So it says here to make allowance for each other because of each other's faults, because of your love. The number one place we need to learn to show mercy, do you know where it is? It's not in the marketplace. We need mercy in the marketplace. It's not even on Facebook. We need a lot of mercy on Facebook. We're going to talk about that. 
You know where the number one place we need mercy? We need mercy in our homes with the people that we spend the most time with. Because here's why. The people in our house, our spouses and our kids, they see us at our worst. They see our faults. They see all of our faults. My wife knows all my faults. My mom thinks she knows all my faults. And my mom knows a lot of my faults. And your mom knows a lot of your faults. But the truth is, our spouses, they have to live with us forever. Our spouses, they see up close and personal all of our faults. Our kids, for 18, hopefully only 18 years, they see our faults. Now, the first few years, they don't see dad's faults, okay? But you get the picture. We need more mercy in our homes than anywhere else. Do you know why? Most marriages don't die because of a big catastrophe. There's not some giant event that kills a marriage. Most marriages are buried by a lot of little digs, a lot of little shovels of dirt thrown on that grave. Nagging, 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 digging, digging, digging. Sarcasm, sarcasm, sarcasm. You know, indifference, indifference. It says, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Show mercy. The Bible says we show mercy when we don't get upset with people's weaknesses, their quirks, their mistakes, all the things that make them human. So how do I become patient with my wife, with my husband? How do I become patient with my kids, with my friends? It's one word. We keep bringing this word up over and over again. The word wisdom. Write that in the, out, in the space there somewhere. That's what you need. This, this verse from James, I've brought this up to you several times this year. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in James 3.17. Remember, James is kind of blunt. He says, but the wisdom from above is first all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle. Next time be gentle. Gentle at all times. And willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy. Circle wisdom. Circle full of mercy. Draw a line between those two. If we're easily irritated, we're not being wise. Patient people. People patient with other people's quirks. He's saying that's wisdom. All right. Again, I said I'm only going to spend a couple minutes on these because there's so many good ones to get to. Number two. Second way to be more merciful this week is I can help anyone hurting around me. We write this one down. This isn't so bad. I can help anyone hurting around me. Now, listen, there's, there's hurting people all around us all the time. Often we're too busy to notice it. But if we care, we'll be aware. That's one of the things that we want to do through Seminole Community Outreach, is we want to care for and help people in our community who are hurting. Maybe we haven't even noticed them before. We've just been too busy. Jesus told a great story in the New Testament. Famous story. If you grow up in church, you've heard the story of the, great, of the Good Samaritan. And he told this story, though, to teach a specific um, point about mercy and about helping people in need. I want to give you a little background of the story. You can find the story um, in the Gospels, in the, in, the, in the New Testament. But one of the things is there's like a story before the story. The story Jesus told was actually 
in answering a question. So a religious guy, a Pharisee, comes up to Jesus one day and he says, what's the greatest commandment? You've heard me talk about this before. And Jesus, of course, they have this conversation. He says, what, what, what does the scripture say? And Jesus says, well, the greatest commandment, the, the most important thing, because the guy's basically saying, summarize the whole Bible for me. Summarize all the scriptures for me. Give me the cliff notes, Jesus. And Jesus says, all right, I'm going to give you the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament all at once. He says, the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So this guy hears this, and he's one of these religious guys who's looking for a loophole. He's like, you know, the fifth grade lawyer in your, in your family. They're like, well, what does that mean? And so he's trying to find a way. How close to the line? Do I have to obey? Do I have to? So he says to Jesus, he says, all right, so it's to love God and to love my neighbor. So he says, I mean, you can just hear the teenager in all of us, right? So who's my neighbor then, right? He's looking for kind of an out. Jesus doesn't answer that question with an answer. He answers the question with a story. So the guy says, so who's my neighbor anyway? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And he tells the story, the famous story of the Good Samaritan. He says, there's this man one day, he's walking down the road to Jericho. And as he's walking down the road to Jericho, he gets jumped. He gets robbed by some bandits, some bad guys. They beat him up. They steal all of his money. They take anything of value, and they leave him for dead on the side of the road. While he's laying there on the side of the road, three people come walking by. The first two ignore him or walk on the other side of the road and do nothing. The third person stops to help. Now, this third person who stops to help is of a different race and a different culture. He says the person who is from a different race and a different culture than this guy, he picks him up, he puts him on his donkey, he takes him to an inn, to a motel, he pays for his care, he gets him cleaned up, he even says to the innkeeper, look, i got to go away on business, when I come back, if he needs anything, you give it to him, I'll pay for it, plops down his American Express card, I'll pay for it when I get back. And Jesus says to the rich guy, to the Pharisee, who said, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, who do you think was the neighbor? And the man, the rich guy, says, well, obviously the guy who showed the most mercy. The guy who showed the most mercy. And what Jesus is teaching us, he's tying this to love God, love your neighbor as yourself. What he's tying this to is you cannot love your neighbor if you're not willing to show mercy. Without being merciful, you're not loving your neighbor. You're not fulfilling the great commandment. We help those who are around us who need help is what our Savior is teaching us. Proverbs 3.27 says, Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them. We've got to look for the people who are in need. In need. By the way, there are people in need in your life right now. You're going to see them this week. They're not new people. They've been in your life. You, we should have saw them last week, but I'm going to pray. We're going to pray that God will open our eyes and help us to see people who have an emotional need or a physical need or a financial need, or maybe they just need for us to care for them in some way. And God is watching not just to see that we help them, but that we help them with the right attitude, that we help Mercy is being patient with those people who have some quirks, and mercy is being helpful to those people who are hurting or who have needs. There's a third way that we can show mercy this week. Maybe this one, they get, they get harder and harder as we go. 
Number three, I can give people a second chance. Will you fill that in? Everybody needs a second chance. Give people a second chance. We, we forgive the fallen, especially those who have hurt us personally. We forgive them. We need to forgive them. We don't forgive them because they deserve it. We give, forgive them because we've been forgiven. We forgive them because it's best for us. That's not normal in our society to forgive people. Have you noticed this? Normally when people hurt us, we have two natural reactions. A, we either want to get even or we want to write them off. So when somebody hurts you at the office or they gossip about you or they embarrass you in front of a group of other people, then your, your inclination is, oh, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get back. I'm going to show them. Or I'm going to, I write them off and I'm done with them. That's our natural inclination for someone who, who hurts us. We want to get back or we want to write them off. Here's what Ephesians 4 says, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. So stop being bitter. Oh, boy, this is a verse we're going to, we're going to stick with this verse for a couple of minutes because I'm going to have you circle six things. Stop being bitter and angry and mad at others. Don't yell at one another or curse each other or ever be rude. Instead, be kind and merciful and forgiving just as God forgave you because of Christ. Now, notice the Bible gives a contrast here. It says, this is what's right, what's merciful and good, and this is the six things that are the opposite of that. Why don't we circle them? It says, don't get bitter, circle bitter, that's number one. Don't get angry, circle angry. It says, don't get mad, don't yell, or type in all caps, that's how we yell today, right, all caps. Don't curse, and don't be rude. Don't be bitter, angry, mad, don't yell, don't curse, and don't be rude. Do you see why mercy is so important in America today? Because that's not the way the world acts at all. And let's just be honest, that's not the way half the Christians act either. We don't act merciful. The world's response is, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm bitter, I'm yelling, caps, caps, caps. I'm cursing, I'm rude. If you don't believe it, just go on social media. It only takes you a couple minutes to see. There's very little mercy in America today. So many people are angry and bitter and mad. So many people are yelling, cursing, and rude. And you know what they're yelling and cursing and rude about? Politics, masks, vaccinations, all of that. So we've got to ask ourselves, are we are we angry? Are we bitter? Are we mad? Are we yelling? All caps. Are we cursing? Are we rude? How would you rate yourself on mercy? Are you like me and you're like, man, I'm struggling with some of these six words. You know, I'm, I, do you yell? Do, do you curse? Do you, are you bitter? Are you angry? Or are you always, man, always, always, are we ever, are we always kind and merciful and forgiving others just as God forgave us? How do you rate yourself on this? Listen, Seminole Community Church wants to be known as a church of mercy. Oh, that's that church of mercy. Yeah, when you go there, they give you, that's the place you get a second chance and a third chance. We want this church to be a church of mercy, a second chance place of grace. 
And if you've messed up, this is your church. If you need to start over, this is your church. If, if you need a fresh start, this is your church. If you need a second chance, a third chance, this is your church. Now, look, if you're here and you've never had a second chance, let me just let you know, someday you're going to need a second chance. So you better be very careful not being stingy with your second chances and your third chances that you give and afford to people. Because we all need a second chance at times. It's another way we show mercy. We give people a second chance. The fourth thing, I can do good to those who hurt me. You want to show mercy? I can do good to those who hurt me. Now, it's one thing to help someone in need of help. He's on the side of the road. But now you're talking about people that I'm giving mercy to, and they don't deserve it because they hurt me. In fact, when you really boil mercy down to a definition, do you know what it is? Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. That's mercy. That I give people what they need, not what they deserve. Why? Because that's what God does for us. He gives us what we need, not what we deserve. If I got what I deserve from God, I wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't even be alive. God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. The Bible says that's what we're to do. We're to give people what they need. And we do good to those who hurt us. Now, why should I... Why should I do good to the people who hurt me? I've told you this over and over again. Hurt people hurt people. If you haven't heard me say that, if you haven't heard me say that a hundred times, you should write that down. Hurt people hurt people. The person who's hurt you is a hurting person. The people who we want to love the least, who deserve it the least, they're the ones that need it the most. The most hurtful people are the people who need your forgiveness any masses of dotes doses of mercy and love let me ask you to think about this in your mind who has hurt you the most in life who's hurt you the most in your whole life who's hurt you the most that person they need your mercy let me ask it a different way who's hurt you the most recently in life who's the last person to hurt you they need your mercy I warned you at the beginning, this isn't going to be an easy message for any of us. Okay, you should have taken my, Jerry said I could bolt, you know. Look at it says, it says in Luke 6, 35 and 36. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You got any ungrateful, wicked people in your Facebook feed? Yeah, God's kind to them. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful to them. That's difficult for us to do. That's why we're not ever finding real happiness. The quest for real happiness is an easy quest. We got to follow our Savior and His example. All right, fifth way. Like I said, we're not going to spend too much time, so I made you uncomfortable enough with that one. Let's do this one. Number five, another way to show mercy. I can be kind to those who offend me. Have you noticed in America today that everybody is so offendable? It's so easy to offend people. And everybody is so offensive, aren't they? They go out of their way to offend you. 
In fact, all you have to do is post something, some little tiny thing like, oh, something bad happened. It could be something tiny. And people are like, you cry, baby. It serves you right. I mean, they're just, all, they're just you're attacked for no reason. I mean, you know, you, you, you can, Nancy was telling me, this poor lady, she changed her cat food from X brand to Y brand, and you would have thought a holy war was breaking out. Who cares about the cat food, y'all? It's not nutritious enough. It's, you know, it's like people will attack you for anything. That's not even political, what you feed your cat. Is that really an issue? Well, maybe it is. I don't know. We don't have a cat of our own. We have neighbor cats that lounge at our house. But, you know, we haven't got rid of them. We're, we wave. i got to be kind to those who offend me. Now, here's the thing. If you're a Christian in America today, have you figured out that Christians, the attacks on Christians are going up exponentially in our society today? Have you noticed this? People are making slurs at Christians just for your faith. They're attacking you just for believing in the Bible or just for believing God. They, there's a lot of groups of people with a lot of agendas that are anti-Christian. Really, let's, let's be honest. They're not anti-Christian. They're anti-God. And what we believe, God offends them. God's word offends them. So when they say, well, God says, I don't, I don't agree with that, so I'm going to go do my own thing. And the prevailing attitude in a lot of our culture is, God doesn't have any right to tell me what to do. Because he's not God, I'm God. That's what they believe. And they, then when we say, well, wait a minute, culture, legislation, you know, movements, whatever people are standing for, you're going, but God says to do it a different way. And, buddy, as soon as you bring that up, they're going to attack you for your faith. They're going to attack you. You're small-minded. You're narrow-minded. You're, you're all of these things. People are attacking Christians like never before in our culture. Folks, it's not going to get any, any easier. It's going to continue to be difficult. And if you're like me, I have a hard time with this one because when you attack me for my faith, that's hard enough. But when you start attacking Jesus, if you're like me, I, I, get, I get boiling mad when people start attacking my Savior. I'm like Peter. I want to pull out my sword and cut off your ear, right? I'm not aiming for your ear. But, but realize that when we do that, I think what Jesus would say is what he said to Peter. like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, church. I don't need you to defend me, Christians. Jesus would say he doesn't need us to defend him. He's God. In fact, the very people that are attacking him, that are going to crucify him, he says to Peter, you know, he admonishes him for pulling his sword out and for defending him. He says, Peter, I don't need your... I don't need your protection. Now, Peter's the guy who said, look, we must obey God rather than man. So as these attacks continue to go up, what are we supposed to do with these people who are offending us? And, I mean, they're relishing in their offense of that. Jesus says, I want you to be kind to those who are offensive. I want you to be kind to those who are attacking you for your faith. I want you to be kind to your enemies, merciful to them. And the problem with this whole idea of a culture war, we're having a culture war, is that they're at war with 
the kingdom of God. They're at war with us because we're in the kingdom of God. And we have to make a choice. Do we want to win the argument or do we want to win them to Christ? Do we want to get our point across or do we want to lead them to the cross? And I don't think you can do both. And a lot of times, I have to admit, I'm more interested in winning the argument than I am in winning them to Christ. But here's the thing. People are not going to change their minds because we argue better. we got a lot of good arguers on our side. People are not going to change their, their minds. They're not going to change their lives or their habits because we argue well. People are going to change their minds and their lives when Jesus comes into their life and changes them. And that's the only way. So when you're arguing with some atheist and you're arguing with some whatever is they are against whatever we believe, you have to realize that all the people that are listening to this argument and all the anger and the vitriol coming out of the Christians, that's not drawing them closer to our Savior. And I'm just like you. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to defend. And Jesus is saying, Jerry, sit down. I got this. Okay. You, you are supposed to love them. This is how they'll know you're my disciples. Your love for one another. Not attack or defend. Listen, if we were alive during the days of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, let me give you a real life example. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy, and he says this, in 1 Timothy 1, I think I have this verse for you, 13. Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, do you know any blasphemers? Even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Do you know most of the people you're arguing with about faith, they're doing it out of ignorance and unbelief. But God had mercy on me because I did it out of ignorance and unbelief. God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. God is very patient with the worst sinners in your life. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If we had lived in Paul's days, we would not be very kind or merciful to the Apostle Paul. We wouldn't be interested in being nice to someone who was offending so many Christians. Because Paul was notoriously persecuting Christians. He was attacking Christians. He was dragging Christians out of their house and throwing them in jail. Yet he says, I was shown mercy so that I could come to Christ, and then my life would be an example to others. So let me give you, if that one's not hard enough, let me give you two more. Two more where Jesus confronts the Pharisees, the religious people, and he says, you know what? You are paying attention to the law, but you're not. But it's because you don't understand the scriptures and you don't know mercy. And both times he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He says the reason why you don't get this is because you don't understand the full meaning of mercy. That's Hosea 6.6. 6. Two more real-life examples from the New Testament. The sixth thing I want you to write down is if you're going to show mercy, it's not just these first five, but these last two are important. Number six, I can build bridges of love to the unpopular. There are people in our circles who are not popular. 
There are people at our school, people at our company, people probably even in our neighborhood or our family, who nobody wants to hang out with them. They're a little weird. They're a little quirky. They bring some of it on themselves. People that we work with that, you know, everybody kind of jokes behind their back. And maybe they... They have a different lifestyle or a different belief system or, or they, um, they don't dress the same way that everybody else does because of cultural reasons or, or whatever. But they're not in the in crowd. And if you happen to be in the in crowd, you can't go be friends with those people who aren't in the in crowd or the in crowd might kick you out of the in crowd. You'll be out of the in crowd and not in the in crowd, right? So they're kind of the outcasts. And this is a facet of our ministry and our mission in the world as believers in Christ that's often under, overlooked, that we have to build a bridge to those unpopular people, especially if you happen to be in the in crowd. And it's what we've got to do what I call premeditated mercy. Okay, now when you hear the word premeditated, we all think about premeditated murder, right? But this is premeditated mercy, where you plan ahead and intentionally build friendships with people who, um, maybe they're unbelievers, you build friendships with them who seem on the edge because of their religion, their lifestyle, their, their quirks, their looks, whatever. Why does God want us to build bridges with people, specifically unbelievers? Well, it's because we cannot win our enemies to Christ. You can't tell somebody, you're a lousy, no good, you're going to hell, I I can't stand you, I hate you and your mama. And by the way, Jesus loves you and God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. How is that going to work? Who's going to listen to us when that's our approach? You see, before they accept whether Jesus is credible or not, you know who they're going to accept whether we're credible or not? is us. Before they're willing to have a friendship with Jesus, they're going to wait and see, can I have a friendship with you, church? Long before anybody comes to Christ, they're going to have to be befriended by a person of faith who loves them the way they are. Not doesn't necessarily want them to stay that way, but accepts them and loves them that way. Because we cannot win an enemy to Christ. We must win them to ourselves first, before we can share Jesus with them. That's an act of premeditated mercy. Here's a good example in Matthew chapter 9. Now Matthew is the one who's writing down the entire Sermon on the Mount for us. Remember, if you grew up in church, you remember he's a tax collector. He becomes one of Jesus' 12 disciples, the apostles. And Matthew in in chapter 9 writes his own kind of testimony story. It says later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. You could circle those, those words, disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, as the religious people began, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Obviously, it's a, mild, it's a modern translation. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. He quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Follow me in the logic on this. Pharisees are attacking Jesus for hanging out with the wrong, one of the wrong crowd. And Jesus says, you know what your problem is? 
Your problem is you don't know the scriptures. You don't know the scripture that says, I don't want your sacrifices. I want you to show love and mercy to people. Because the religious people, the Pharisees, they thought that mercy was just forgiving people and helping people in need. And although mercy includes forgiving people and helping people in need, that's not all it takes to be merciful. No, you've got to also build some bridges to some scoundrels, to some riffraff, to some people who aren't in the kingdom yet. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm going to go to a party. And I'm not only going to go to a party. I'm going to go to a party with a whole bunch of tax collectors and notorious sinners. I'm going to go hang out with the people that none of you would ever would ever hang out with because you think you're too good. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because I understand mercy. And you don't. You need to go and learn the meaning of Hosea 6.6. 6. In fact, if you notice, it says that Matthew invited all those people to his house. When's the last time we invited unbelievers into our house for dinner? That's an act of mercy. When was the last time? Have you ever had any notorious sinners in your house? I mean, other than us, right? We want to be merciful. We want to find real happiness. Do we even have any close relationships with unbelievers who are our friends? See, the problem is the longer that we're the longer we're Christians, the harder it is to be friends with unbelieving with unbelieving people. Look, I'm 54 years old. I became a Christian when I was 10. That's 44 years ago. Um, God called me to preach when I was 14. That's 40 years ago. So uh, my whole world is like full of whole, whole whole lot of believers. I could spend a whole year and never run into, never have a long conversation. I've got to be really intentional to have unbelieving friends, people that are in my life that are not believers yet. And then once they become a believer, I've got to find another one and another one kind of a thing. And if we don't do this, if we don't build friendships with unbelieving people, then there's no way that we're able to fulfill this act of being merciful like Jesus taught. All right, I've got to finish up this last one because we've got to go through and evaluate ourselves on all these. Remember, I'm going to have you add a, an initial to all the different people that this applies to so you can start fretting and arguing with God as we speak. Number seven, I can value, if I want to show mercy, I can value relationships over rules. Value relationships over rules. Now, if you're a rule keeper, this just creates you in the wrong way so many ways. Particularly if you're in HR. If you're in human resource department, you, you know, but we got policies. We got a policy manual. We got procedure manual. And Jesus would say to even those of us who deal with people corporately and professionally, you know what? You got to put people before procedures. You've got to put people's needs over policies. You've got to have relationships be more important than rules and regulations. Jesus would say, I want you to choose love over the law. Now let me give you some, some insight, an example of this from Matthew as well. Before I do, let me give you Romans 13.10 that says, Love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So if you're doing the loving thing, you're fulfilling the law. If you're doing it for their benefit, not yours, you're doing the right thing, like it is in Matthew. 
There's another time that Jesus had a run-in. Jesus had a lot of run-ins with legalists and Pharisees. Over and over again, he has a run-in with legalists and Pharisees, who, by the way, later crucified our Savior. And, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but you understand this, I hope. Pharisees are still with us today. Do you know that? I call them Facebook Pharisees. They're, they're still with us. They're always judging someone else's faith walk. They're always judging someone else's teaching style or their ministry or their followers. They don't seem to love God or other people. They're prideful, arrogant Twitter twerps. That's what I call them. And I don't even think they're a disciple of Jesus. You know why? You know how I know that and how we know that? Because Jesus said, this is how the world will know you're my disciples. Your love one for another. So if you're following somebody and they're all about hate, 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 argue, 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 judge, 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 everybody's, nobody obeys God like I obey God, I'm just saying, why are you even caring what they say? Because they're probably not even a disciple of Christ. Anyway, they seem like a Pharisee. Jesus would have a big run-in with them. They don't understand the scriptures and mercy, do they? There's Pharisees all over. Modern-day legalistic Pharisees all over your Facebook timeline and Twitter feed. Anyway, end of rant. Jesus has a run-in with these legalists, these Pharisees. And I think he probably would still be running and having run-ins with them. Matthew 12, 1 to 8, it says, At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. So they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees, dun, 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 some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. They're the rule keepers. They're the, you know, they have a meme for that. They're just waiting, right? Jesus said to them, Haven't you read the scriptures? He gives them several examples. Haven't you read the scriptures that David did when he and his companions were hungry. He went into the house of God, and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread only for the priests were allowed to eat. And haven't you read in the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. He goes right back to Hosea 6.6. 6. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the son of There it is again. For the Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. So the Pharisees come and they're like, they're breaking the law, they're breaking the rules. And Jesus said, you know what? The Sabbath was made for man. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given because we need rest. It's not about keeping all these all these rules. I put relationship over rules, and you guys don't get it because you don't understand the meaning of Scripture. You don't understand what mercy is. He says, I want you to go read it and learn it. And, of course, they get all hacked off at him, as you can imagine. So I want us, I'm going to dare you to do something this week, not pick grain on the Sabbath, okay? But I want to dare you to commit an act of premeditated murder from one of, sorry, premeditated, (laughs) it's easy to say, premeditated mercy, okay? Some people weren't even paying attention. What did he say? What did he say? Get off your phone. Uh, They're checking their Facebook feed to see how many Pharisees they have. All right. So we're going to do acts of premeditated mercy. Right. One of these seven. So I want you to go through and I want you to write down the first initial 
of somebody's name that God's been bugging you with this whole time. God, who do you want me to write down? Just their first initial. Write it small enough so your spouse can't see it. And, and if, the, if the letter is the first letter of your spouse's name, you can write out the whole name, okay? Don't write their name, you know, write somebody else's name. All right, number one, how do I be merciful? By being patient with people's quirks. So I want you to write down, who's the person that's quirk is driving you crazy? Write that down. That's who you need to be patient with this week. Maybe it's a J, maybe it's Jerry. It's like he's driving me nuts. Number two, who around me is obviously hurting that I could help this week? Write down the first initial. Now, if you can't think of anybody who's hurting, ooh, you're probably not paying attention. There's hurting people in your life. So ask God, God, help me to notice who's hurting this week. Number three, give people a second chance. Who do I need to give a second chance to this week? Might be someone in your house. Might be a teenager. Every one of them. You're writing a different letter for each one. You're going to have seven different people. Or maybe one person comes up four times, and you really, you really got to deal with that. All right, number three, give first for the second chance. Write down, write down a letter. Just one person. Number four, do good to those who hurt me. Who's hurt me that I could do good for? Write, write the first letter of their name next to number four. Number five, I have to be kind to those who offend me. So who offends you? It's like, well, who doesn't offend me, you know? Um, start praying for that person that offends you. If it's not somebody close to you, like somebody, it may be, it may be a newscaster. It may be um, a politician. It may be... A comedian, uh, you can write down the first letter. You say, okay, I'm just going to start praying for that person. Not praying that, you know, God strikes them, but praying that God works in their life. Um, if it's somebody close to you, maybe it's somebody that you could be kind to. Number six, build bridges of love to the unpopular. So write down the person in your, in your lunchroom that's an outcast. Write down the person in your company people make fun of. Write down who's the outcast, the unpopular person. You could build a bridge of love and write down their, their initial. And then number seven. I want you to write down the initial of a believer, an unbeliever that you could invite over for dinner. We're going to be in this series for another three weeks. Um, we're going to be into this series all the way to the end of August. Somebody I can invite over for dinner who's a non-believer um, and write down, write down their initial. Listen, we should be praying, God, help us to show mercy this week. And here's seven ways you can grow in being merciful and specifically seven people that you can show mercy to this week, this month, rest of this year. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, this is so hard for us. Your word convicts us. We struggle with mercy, with being merciful. And as we look at these seven things, Lord, I, I can think of so many lacks, so many faults, so many weaknesses in my own life. And I pray rather than us just hearing this message today and thinking, oh, that's a great sermon, that you help us to do something about it. It's not a great sermon. It's a difficult, it's a hard, it's a hard message to apply to our lives. Give us the courage to be merciful, to step out of our comfort zone. Give us the courage this week to do radical, premeditated acts of mercy. Help us to pray through these seven people and to start responding differently to them this week. Not because they deserve it, but because they need mercy. They need it. Help us to do it because we recognize how merciful you've been to us. 
by sending your son Jesus, our Savior. These are all his words. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. It's now. Hopefully today's message will inspire you to find ways to show mercy to those people around you, just as Jesus did. Don't forget that the collective will be meeting tonight at 7 in the sanctuary. If you're a young adult, please join us for a special time of worship, teaching, and fellowship. Have a great week, especially if you're going back to school. See ya.